0: Welcome to the Nest Egg Podcast. This is Lisa James, and I'm here with my partner, Lori Zager. We're a team at Ingalls & Snyder LLC, an independent registered advisor. Today we're going to talk about recessions, something that's on everyone's mind.
1: Lisa, do you want to do the TLDRs?
0: Yeah. All right. So people who want the shortened version, here's what we think. We have a high chance of going into a recession. There are a lot of indicators pointing in that direction. Second, recessions are defined as a sustained slowdown in economic growth, characterized by slowing gross domestic product, that's the total amount of production of the United States economy, falling income, and rising unemployment. Recessions are most often caused by the Federal Reserve slowing down an overheated economy but it can also be caused by significant events like the pandemic. If we have a recession, we think unemployment will rise less and housing will hold up better than typical recessions. This recession will likely have similarities to the recessions in the 1970s and 1980s where inflation persisted. Recessions end when economic growth returns. That typically occurs when the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates to stimulate growth then investors try to anticipate this renewed growth by buying stocks. So the basic idea is we had a -a rip-roaring market and economy for a couple of years after the pandemic, and now the Fed's job is to slow everything down.
1: And the reason that they're slowing it down is because of high inflation. And that is one of the two things that the Fed is supposed to do. Their job is to basically deal with inflation and deal with unemployment.
0: And that is keep prices stable and keep unemployment low. So what's happening right now? We have falling stock and bond prices. We have higher mortgage rates. We have decreased home prices and far lower home sales. We have falling job openings And a lot of media focus on recession and risk of a recession. And in fact, at this point, two-thirds of business economists think that we're either already in a recession or we're likely to be in one in the next 12 months. And in a recent survey, 98% of CEOs said that they are preparing for a recession.
1: So why do recessions happen?
0: Well, there are a couple reasons. Um, First, recessions can happen in response to something really big happening in the world. Examples of that would be after World War II, we went from a war economy to a peacetime economy, which sort of slowed things down, and there was a recession. We had a period in the 70s where we had the OPEC oil embargo with rising oil prices and expensive gas President Nixon actually enacted wage price controls.
1: That didn't work. (laughs) In fact, made the thing worse.
0: Exactly. And that caused a recession. And we've all experienced a very brief recession that happened right after the beginning of the COVID pandemic in 2020. So while world events can cause recessions, recessions actually occur most often because of the Federal Reserve doing exactly what they're doing today they step in after a speculative boom raise interest rates and slow the economy which is basically taking the punch bowl away and this kind of activity is generally followed by a recession six to 18 months later these things happened in 1929 2001 after the dot-com boom 2008 after the housing boom and today basically after the everything boom now, what's kind of interesting and Federal Reserve Chair Powell brought this up today is this lag time between when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates and changes policy and when we actually see inflation come down, which is what they're trying to achieve. What Powell said today was usually there's a four-part process. One is a change in monetary policy by the Fed. The second is a response by the market, the financial markets, anticipating a slowing economy. Third is the economy itself actually slowing. And fourth is inflation coming down. And so that could take a long time. And what Powell mentioned is that he thinks that's changed, that now and in the last 10 years or so, that the financial markets anticipate what the Fed is going to do. And so the financial market change actually occurs before some of the Fed monetary policy moves, and that shortens the lag time. And that, in fact, also the lag between monetary policy and the effect on the economy has shortened as well. So we're not necessarily looking out 18 months for a a potential recession here. It could much more easily be six months or 12 months.
1: Well, I think that's why the Federal Reserve is so interested in using job learning as a policy tool, because by their speeches and by what they have to say, they can maybe affect the markets. Um, Right, which is
0: its own tightening. When the market goes down 25%, everybody looks at their stock holdings and their 401ks and feels like they have less money and they tend to spend less as a result.
1: One thing that I wanted to mention in the 1970s is President Nixon talked about wage price controls and also about windfall profit taxes. And Biden has only got control over companies that are headquartered in the U.S. So what happened in the 1970s is, you know, there were problems in terms of the U.S. companies being controlled by U.S. law. So people just used imported energy rather than using domestic energy. So it really didn't have the effect that he had hoped. It's unlikely that we see wage price controls, but windfall profit taxes are currently being talked about with relation to the energy companies at the moment. Although maybe the government gets some money from putting these taxes on the energy companies, it discourages the energy companies from drilling because their feeling is, well, we'll just wait it out. We'll get another administration and we won't have to pay these taxes. So it, in the past, has limited supply even more. And that's the exact opposite of what we need to do right now. So what are some common signals for a recession?
0: Well, uh, this is going to be a fun one to explain. One of the most common used is an inverted yield curve. And basically, what people look at is where are short-term interest rates versus longer-term interest rates? And in this case, the 10-year Treasury note is used. So... If the three-month bill has a yield that is higher than the 10-year note, that is considered an inverted yield curve. And a recession happens most of the time when this occurs. There's only one time in the 1960s where it was not an accurate predictor of recessions. Another very common recession signal is if the unemployment rate goes up half a percent over the level that it was a year ago. We haven't seen that yet. The unemployment rate has sort of bounced around between 3.5, 3.6% and has not gone definitively higher. And that's a reason that many people think that we are not in a recession now.
1: And people that have listened to our podcast and read our blogs are going to know why that's happened or hasn't happened yet.
0: Exactly. There's another uh, very clear indicator of a recession, which is falling real income. So that would be income that personal income that is adjusted for inflation. And if that goes down substantially, then obviously that means people have a lot less money that they're able to spend and the economy is much slower.
1: And that has happened. If you look at how much uh, wages have gone up and minimum wages have gone up, but if you look at how much the minimum wage has gone up relative to the level of inflation, it hasn't kept up. And so that has resulted in falling real income.
0: Right. So when we think about these three things, the inverted yield curve, especially if you look at the three-month bill, just happened. And usually people think it sticks around for a couple months before it's a clear recession signal. The unemployment rate rising half a percent has not happened. But there have been quite a few other recession signals that are a little more particular that have
1: occurred. The Federal Reserve has raised rates the fastest pace in the last 35 years. Um, A number of pundits have talked about that. Professor Jeremy Siegel is one that has been very critical of the Fed for doing just that. In periods where the Fed is hiking and food and energy inflation rose above 5%, the economy has always gone into a recession. Also, every time we've had unemployment below 4% and inflation above 4%, we've had a recession within the next two years. When money supply growth has fallen dramatically, that's been a typical precursor to recessions. If you look at real M2, which is the common measure of money supply, it's the most negative since the 1973-74 recession and bear market. And consumer expectations have declined 10%. And history has shown that drops at this level lead to recessions. If we have a recession, who can and what impacts its severity?
0: Well, we come back to the Federal Reserve, the more that the Fed raises interest rates and the longer they keep them elevated, the higher the risk of a severe recession. And this is just because they have a a stronger impact on the economy by doing one of those two things. When Chair Powell was talking today, he said there are three stages to slowing the economy. The first two, three things to think about in terms of slowing the economy First is how high and how fast do you raise rates? And basically what they've done is very high and very fast. They did substantial 75 basis point rate hikes very close together. Then the second thing that they look at is for how long will this keep going and what will that terminal rate be? So right now rates are at 4% and they were talking about the final rate being around five. Some people think it could go as high as five and a half. So that's the second question. And then the third question is, how long do they keep the rates high before bringing them back down again? And so all of these things, you know, the Fed will always say these are data dependent. So how much longer, how high, and how long will they keep them there? will be determined by what do we see in terms of falling inflation or rising unemployment. And so, you know, it's kind of like a push-pull situation where the Fed does certain things, they look at the data, they do more, and uh, they look at what's happening in order to determine their next step. The biggest problem this year is despite all of these rate hikes, inflation hasn't really trended down. And so for that reason, Chair Powell said today in his press conference that it is not time to talk about pausing. And the market was really anticipating the peak Fed rate hike, starting to think about pausing policy discussion. And that was completely stopped in its tracks
1: today. So let us talk a little bit about what may make this recession unique. And I'm hoping that everybody listening can say this before I say it, because we've been talking about this for quite a while. We think there's a lid on how high unemployment can go. Our population is aging, and that's true for most developed countries, by the way. We've got low birth rates. And because we are not replacing ourselves and because we aren't currently bringing in immigrants to fill the gap, we are probably going to continue to have more job openings than we have people to fill those jobs. Businesses have struggled to find employees for a number of years. And so one of the things you're seeing is an attempt to keep their employees. Also, housing may suffer less. During the housing crisis in 2008-2009, many home builders went out of business, and housing was underbuilt for a decade.
0: In fact, there's a nonprofit group called Up for Growth that has done some research on this topic, and they said that America has not built 3.8 million homes that are needed to meet housing needs, and that includes both rental housing and houses
1: that people would buy. So we think that this lack of supply will put a floor under the housing market. We've also said ad nauseum. I know people are sick of inviting me over for cocktail parties on this one. We think inflation is going to be persistent, and we've written about it on numerous times. There'll be similarities to slow growth, persistent inflation that we saw in the 1970s and early 80s. But we don't think you're going to have the spikes in unemployment, which got as high as 10.8% in 1982 for the reasons we've just said. So we now want to talk a little bit about how recessions affect both stock and bond markets.
0: The first thing is the economy slows down in a recession. So that means that most companies don't either grow or earn as much. So that means that their ability to pay back their debt could get weaker, and that would cause bonds that are issued by corporations to go down in price.
1: Companies... To, in order to finance themselves, can issue both debt or and stock. And when they issue debt, it's bonds. And they have to pay back those debts, just like you have to pay back any debt you take on personally. And when they're slow, they have less ability to pay back that debt. and as Less a result, cash on hand. Right. And as a result, the price of those bonds will go down if there's a problem with their credit.
0: Now, on the stock market side, stock prices go down on an average of 30%. Or more, a little more
1: than that. But that's actually from uh, Charles Schwab.
0: And the market is more volatile. We've certainly seen that. And it can happen, not even in a recession. But recessionary bear markets, they don't necessarily go down more than a non-recessionary bear market, but they often last longer. Today, we really want to talk about how markets react to inflationary recessions, since that's the situation we are faced with. Laurie, maybe you could talk a little bit about
1: that. Price earnings multiples come down as interest rates rise. So the amount of money that somebody is willing to pay for a company's earnings falls. And you've seen that happen this year. At one point, people were paying 22 times the S&P earnings, or the market had a 22 P.E., and it's fallen to about a 16 PE. And that's really not because of the earnings. We haven't really seen the effect of a problem with earnings yet. It's just how much people are willing to pay for that given level of earnings, because they're anticipating that the earnings are going to fall as well. And because the alternative in terms of what you can get in bonds is now greater. Also, value stocks tend to outperform growth stocks. And you've seen that Value stocks typically have current cash flow and people want current cash flow in an inflationary environment because money's worth less in the future in inflation. And stock and bond markets both go down. Bond prices fall as yields increase. And that's something that's really different. I think this has been the worst time for a 60-40 portfolio in like 100 years because both stocks and bond prices are going down.
0: And part of that actually is due to what happened leading into this Fed tightening, which is we went to zero on interest rates in order to bolster the economy during the pandemic there is a long way between zero and average bond yields. So we've gone from zero to four and that creates a big price decline in bonds. And that's part of the reason that 60, 40 portfolios have performed so badly.
1: Unfortunately, most investors were taught or grew up, I should say many investors, that, you know, the way to protect yourself in a terrible market is to own bonds. Well, Not when they start at
0: zero. Right,
1: right. And not when you've got the circumstances, which we have right now, which is inflation. You know, we've been talking about the death of a 60-40 portfolio for some time now, and it looks like it's at least, it's quite sick. It may may recover. It may not die, (laughs) but it it hasn't recovered yet. So if inflation is present, what do you do? How do you protect yourself or try to? And we have shown and written a number of blogs about this, that commodity stocks tend to outperform And really what the point of this is, it has to do with the commodity cycle is really different than the business cycle. And so if you've had a period of capital underinvestment by commodity companies, the commodities will perform in an inflationary environment, which was counterintuitive when we looked into it. We thought, okay, people are going to want less of everything. So demand's going to go down and that's going to hurt commodities. But what we hadn't really thought about was the supply side. And so that doesn't have to do with the business I cycle. I think that's
0: really unfair. We've been talking about the supply side for 18 months too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we but we didn't we we didn't anticipate it initially, I should say. But we've we've been worried about it. When you have a recession, commodities actually do perform well if there has been a lack of supply going into that recession with inflation. Uh, And you can see this. We actually, in the blog that accompanies this podcast, we talk about how commodities have performed. It's from Goldman Sachs. And year to date, energy is up 51.8% as of October 18th. Industrial metals and precious metals are down, but down less than the market. Grains are up 16.5%. Livestock is up 4.5%. So you really do see commodities helping you, unlike bonds in an inflationary environment. So how do recessions end?
0: It comes back to the Fed. As you can tell throughout this whole podcast and our prior podcast about inflation, the Fed's hands are everywhere uh, when we're talking about markets and the economy. Most recessions end because the Federal Reserve changes monetary policy once again this is commonly called a fed pivot and it just means that the federal reserve reverses course they lower interest rates maybe they buy bonds again to stimulate the economy and over time the fed has pivoted for a number of different reasons this time when and if they pivot it will be because they've achieved their policy goals in this case lowering inflation but Other things might happen. So people say something breaks, which means if a large institution, a hedge fund even, or another country runs into a really severe financial problem and it causes systemic risk for markets and the economy, the Fed will react to that and do something to support the economy. For example, after the housing crisis in 2008 and 9, the Fed stepped in to stimulate the economy and, and stop us from having a severe recession slash depression. It was still a very severe recession, but we came back from the brink. Another thing that can cause the Fed to pivot, not this time so far, is that the stock market abruptly tanks. And this happened at the end of 2018. And I think because we didn't really have high inflation at that time, the Fed was willing to pivot rather than have the stock market bring the rest of the economy down.
1: I can think of something else that'll make a recession end, but it's not very pretty. That's called a war. But uh, that certainly happened after the Great Depression. It certainly helped us get out of that economic problem.
0: So what happens with markets when all of these things are going on? The market tries to get in front of the Fed. Powell really thinks that the markets try to anticipate and that makes cycles happen more quickly. So this year, actually, market participants have anticipated a Fed pivot three times and they've been wrong each time. <laughs> in fact, they even
1: they even anticipated it today in the morning and after he started speaking, they said, oh no, it looks like they, that he's not going to pivot. Right. And, and then, then it then went the down. It down
0: 2%. I mean, it's,
1: it swung like 4% today. It was crazy.
0: Right. And that actually happened another time during a Fed meeting. So I think that investors have a lot of cash on the sidelines and everyone wants to be early into the market to capture the most upside in a pivot. But the Fed really squashed that by saying very clearly, or jawboning, should you prefer to use that expression, that this (laughs) this is not a pause. So when Powell says, this is not a pause, the market basically goes down. That's what happened today.
1: So what do we recommend? In recessions, value stocks, defensive stocks, and high-quality companies with earnings tend to outperform. Value ETFs or value mutual funds have and we think will continue to outperform. For defensive positioning, healthcare, healthcare stocks and healthcare ETFs. Dividend growth stocks for high-quality companies with cash flow. And when you think about defensive stocks, some people think of utilities and they also think of consumer companies and non-durables, if you will. In other words, things that people have to buy, garbage bags and, I don't know, toilet paper and those kinds of companies. The problem is that those kinds of companies are pretty highly priced in this market, and also their margins are going to be impacted, we think, because of inflation. And wages. And wages, well, it's, which is part of inflation. So we tend to like, for a defensive group, the healthcare stocks. We do like dividend growth stocks, and we also like energy stocks. And the other thing that I've just observed, I was taught this many years ago by a very famous investor, that sectors and markets tend to outperform over a decade or so. And the energy market has just gotten started. So we think that there's a lot more to go in energy and you're going to get your chances. But we would take them because of the scarce supply versus demand.
0: Really what we're seeing this year is a very large sea change in the relationship between technology and energy stocks, because technology is coming off the big 10-year run-up. And technology has really fallen most of the sectors in the market, partly because they've run up so much. And so there's been a trade all year out of technology into energy as technology
1: stocks fall and energy stocks Rise and the earnings have been yeah. uh, the earnings of the technology companies have not been great, yes, um, as great. of now. Yeah. And the energy stocks have been terrific, exactly. And the market's been quite rational, it just takes a while because people remember what happened last time and they tend to do that. There have been periods in the 1970s, the energy stocks were great, but people don't remember that. They remember the last time the you know, energy stocks did not perform. And so it's going to take a while for that kind of psyche to change. We have a saying that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We want to talk a few things on a positive note, that recessions change our mindset. As people are reminded about the importance of living within their means, when money is free, it's like, why not spend it like crazy? And they don't tend to save for a rainy day. And when you have recessions and when times get, Tougher people do learn to pull in their horns and save for a rainy day in the corporate world. Businesses are forced to be more efficient, and um, that often sets up for better performance and the economy rebounds. We hope that we have given you uh, a number of things to talk about and think about today. So, thanks for listening. If you want to reach us, you can reach us by going to our website, which is 2xwealth.ingles.net. Or you can email us, laurie at 2xwealth.ingles.net or lisa at 2xwealth.ingles.net. Until next time.